be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. All right, we've been promising to bring Michael Bana back on this program, film documentarian extraordinaire who's produced some stuff for National Geographic that I know you have seen. And so it's our great pleasure to, to say, welcome back to Radio Parallax, Michael Bana. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Back, it's great to be back on the air. You, uh, you've been busier than a one-legged waiter, from what I can see on Facebook, following some of the things you've been doing. And I guess I'd just like to run, run down a bunch of them, because they're all, they're all pretty damn interesting. Uh, starting with the fact that you were involved in some anti-culling efforts over in Australia, which we have not heard about up here. So um, inform us. What was going on? One of the things that, that's happened in Western Australia, they had a series of uh, shark attacks um, it's over a reasonably extended period, but seven fatalities. So, I mean, a reasonable number of, uh, you know, of, uh, of dangerous shark attacks. And the government over there was, um, you know, wondering what they, what, what they should do. They, uh, they got the wrong advice, basically, um, and looked to, uh, to set up a, what they call a shark cull, where they're going out and drumlining and killing sharks in an attempt to, uh, to reduce the fatalities. Um, unfortunately, if, uh, if you come from the scientific world, you're, you're very aware that drum lines around the world have been utilised for years, and all the science tells us that they do not work, certainly with big uh, or highly migratory species like tiger sharks and white sharks. Not familiar with what, about drum lines. Can you explain that a little better? Okay, a drum line basically is a, um, it's a big float. Um, it's attached to a big anchor on the, on the seafloor, yeah. and hanging off that is a big baited hook. So it, it's basically just a, a big set line. Um, and it's and it's set about a kilometre offshore, just in front of where the main swimming beaches are. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea behind it is they uh, they catch the sharks as they swim towards the beach. Um, what we know from a science point of view is it doesn't work. Um, if anything, it attracts sharks to the beach. Right. And uh, if you've got a highly migratory species like white sharks or tiger sharks, they'll just move right up and down that coast constantly. And uh, you know the chance of you catching a dangerous shark or one that's going to do the damage is incredibly low. Kind of reminds me of those nutty, uh, nutty things they sell in the hardware stores up here that are uh, supposed to zap insects. And all it does is attract yeah. insects in, and it doesn't, it doesn't zap the ones that, you know, you have to worry about the mosquitoes and the like. But I guess it gives people a satisfaction that they're doing something. It's crazy. That's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, the public needs something to be done. And um, it's, it's a bit like when you're a kid, you know, and, and you couldn't leave home without your teddy bear. Um, and that security that you got from uh, from the teddy bear or your or your, or your security blanket was uh, was basically what these types of methods do. They make the public feel as if they're safer, but they don't actually achieve it. And uh, and and we know there's so many other ways that uh, that uh, beaches can be protected um, and protected well, uh, rather than going out and uh, and killing innocent sharks. And that's what's happened in in Western Australia. They killed in the first season over 170 sharks. Um, the sharks that did the damage were great white sharks, right? Um, and they caught not one great white during Jesus. that whole period. Jesus. Well, did the protests of, of, of you and a lot of other people uh, reach any receptive ears? Do you think? For us, we have to. You know, we're we're documentary filmmakers. We're not activists. Okay. Our idea or our uh, our job is to go in there and and highlight what's happening, and make sure people understand. You know, the science behind uh, what's being done and what the what the the uh, the options are. Um, to actually do that or to create that, uh, that protection that people want. And, and that's what we did. We did a documentary on the area. We even had Sir Richard Branson um, on, uh, on interview talking about uh, the damage to tourism uh, mm-hmm. done by uh, you know, non-conservation methods like this. So, 
Yeah, um, we'll get our documentary to air in the, uh, this year, and hopefully that'll make a difference for the government. Oh, great. Might that be a National Geographic? Yeah, look, we're not sure at this stage, Doug. We have a, a distribution company out of Canada called Octopix that distribute okay. our product. Um, we're talking with uh, National Geographic and Discovery in the next month, um, and uh, hopefully uh, one, of, one or the other will pick up the series. Uh, first series is 10 uh, episodes. Uh, presented by a young uh, PhD candidate uh, from New Zealand who is actually Canadian-born, um, and uh, he's, our, he's our resident shark expert, and it's a great little series. I think people will really oh, wow. enjoy it. That, that, that sounds terrific. Yeah, it's, it's about plugging conservation and, and making, you know, I mean, Jaws did a lot of damage yeah. to the, you know, the image of the shark, if you like, right. and, uh, and one of the things we're trying to do with the, with the series is, is take the bite out of the shark, so to speak, and yeah. uh, make people realise that they're an important part of our ecosystems and uh, and we've got to be very careful that uh, that we don't end up eliminating them because the damage that would do to our ecosystems would be huge. Well, I know another thing you've been uh, involved with, I think with good reason, is this anti-finning effort that's gained a lot of traction around the world. There's been some legislation here uh, in California to try and restrict uh, any access to shark fin soup, things like that. And this is, I guess, just wreaking havoc with shark populations everywhere. Yeah, look, it is. You know, we're talking about 70 million sharks being taken out per year. Um, and, and sharks, remember, sharks aren't like fish. They, they're very slow to reach sexual maturity. They breed incredibly slowly. So you can, you can have a, a profound impact on, uh, on species by, uh, by taking large numbers out like this. Um, here in New Zealand, we've, uh, we were shark finning right up until, well, actually October this year. Um, and for the last two years, we've been really focused on, uh, on getting the information in front of the government uh, to make them change their minds in terms of stopping shark finning. And here in New Zealand, it's been successful. Um, we've managed to, uh, to get shark fin banned completely, or shark finning banned completely. Um, initially, it wasn't going to come into 2016. We continued our pressure on government here, and, uh, and that whole uh, process comes forward now until October this year. So as of October, there'll be no more shark finning in New Zealand, which is a, a very good result for us. It sure is. I, I, I'm a little bit staggered, but I figure I had no idea that it was 70 million worldwide. That's, that's astonishing. That's a lot of sharks, and, and, and people have got to understand, I mean, our first, our first reaction to sharks is one of fear, um, but you've got to look at the job the sharks do to realise how important they are for our ecosystems. Uh, the thing about sharks is they're like the rubbish trucks, if you like, uh, or the, the rubbishmen coming around and picking up all your rubbish at the end of the day, mm-hmm. picking up all the trash. Now, if, uh, if, uh, if they stop collecting that trash around the world, you imagine what, the, uh, what your town would look like in a week or two weeks or, uh, or in a year. And, uh, and that's exactly what the, the sharks are doing. They, they clean the oceans, they get rid of all the weak animals, they get rid of the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, or keep the populations healthy and strong. So they play a vital role. Well, since we spoke uh, last time, it's been, it's been many years, I think that you probably had a couple of documentaries on Shark Week and the like on National Geographic. Uh, I know you had one on tuna cowboys, quite interesting, a very ecological approach to bringing in uh, the juvenile tunas, letting them grow up. Um, what other things have you done in the last couple of years? Well, last year I was involved in um, the biggest mockumentary in U.S. television history. <laughs> I don't know whether that's a claim to fame or infamy. <laughs> yeah, let, do, do tell that story. Well, you know, I got, a, I got approached by Discovery Channel um, last year, and they said, look, we're going to make this mockumentary um, uh, about uh, finding Megalodon, the giant prehistoric shark, and uh, would I like to be involved? And... Uh, I thought about it for a while, and I thought, well, maybe not, you know, my, my scientific credibility and all of that at stake, and then I thought about it, well, it's a mockumentary, and we've done a lot of them 
overseas, you know, like New Zealand here, uh, Sir Peter Jackson there, who uh, did Lord of the Rings and, uh, and The Hobbit, um, he was involved in a huge mockumentary here in New Zealand, which, um, which really, uh, uh, you know, uh, caught New Zealand unawares and, uh, and got everybody talking. And I thought about it. I thought, well, it's you know, it, it's uh, it'll be fun to have have a little bit of fun, a little bit of tongue in cheek. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I think more people took it seriously than we thought, and uh, and a lot of people thought that uh, megalodon did actually exist. And there was a lot of controversy afterwards. Well, I don't know what what how it was packaged when you guys put it together, but by the time I saw it on television up here, it was kind of walking the line between mockumentary and hey, this could be real. There really could be. <laughs> It looked to me like you were having a grand good time uh, off the coast of South Africa with these giant chum chum cannons that were blowing out (laughs) huge amounts of uh, of refuse to attract them. But they had another character on there who was really seemed to be really presenting the case that he thinks that Megalodon was out there, and that the documentaries seem to be walking the walking both lines at the same time. Well, I think that's 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 the the beauty of a mockumentary is to make it real enough that uh, that people engage and and believe it because. At the end of the day, you know, we, we've got to rem- remember that uh, the television and broadcasters like Discovery Channel, like ABC, like C- CB, uh, you know, any of the, the major broadcasters, it's about ratings. You know, the, the reason sure. why they can make television and put television on air is, is based on how much advertising they can sell and, uh, and how much advertising or the value of that advertising relates to how many people actually watch the television. So if, they, if we can put a lot of eyeballs on a television set for Discovery Channel, then, uh, then we create the opportunity to make more programs in the future. And, and that mockumentary certainly did that. It was one of the highest rating um, shows in Discovery's history. Yeah, well, ju- just for the record, I want to clarify, you're not taking the position there really is uh, this fossil giant shark still patrolling the world's oceans. No, there is not, Doug. <laughs> we actually, <laughs> actually went on a, a live talkback show straight away afterwards and said it wasn't real. And you could have heard a pin drop in the audience. <laughs> We're speaking with film documentarian Michael Bono, who's talking to us currently from New Zealand. And uh, I would like to talk about um, this TV series you just mentioned uh, and some of the details of that. So what what's, what's one that you're going to go into, Mike? Yeah, look, we've, we've, uh, we're, we're producing 30 half-hour shows called wow. Shark Man. Wow. Um, and uh, the, first, the first 10 we've, uh, we've, we've shot uh, around New Zealand and in Australia. Uh-huh. Um, and in the Pacific as well. And basically, it's a, it's a young um, PhD graduate student uh, from university down here. He's actually Canadian-born, Riley Elliott. Uh, very talented man, very committed to shark conservation. And basically, the series follows him as he goes and explores and, and investigates um, shark species and issues related to sharks right around the globe. So each week, it's a, you know, it's a different mission. Obviously, West Australia, which is one of the stories we talked about, his mission was to go over there, find out what was going on, find out why they'd instigated the cull, and then look at all of the options there, there are in terms of ways in which uh, the government could better deal with the issue. Um, we also went up to Fiji and had a look at one of the best shark ecotourism businesses that's running. Hmm. We had uh, and a marine biologist and economist from Western Australia had gone into Fiji, and uh, the government up there were, were not um, pro- uh, shark diving and shark ecotourism, but he did a survey to find out how much the shark diving operator up there was bringing into Fiji, and it worked out to be around $42 million a year. Wow. And as soon as that, uh, that uh, economic uh, paper came out, of course, the Fijian government sat up and said, well, hang on a minute, let's make sure we protect the sharks here. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's stories like that, looking, going out and investigating things, finding out what's going on, and, and, and bringing them to, to 
people's attention. And also trying to debunk those myths we have about sharks that, you know, every shark wants to eat us. Yeah, that, the Jaws really did set, I think, just just everybody back uh, a generation or two with just this idea of this killer of the seas that's, you know, this diabolical creature out there. And that really has stuck in the public mind, hasn't it? Well, it has, you know, and, and, and it's crazy because, you know, we get in the ocean and when people jump in the ocean, the one thing that's always in the back of their mind is sharks, you know. Um, but we, we, we'll climb into our car, our motor vehicle, and drive down the road without a second thought right. about our safety. Right. And uh, when you look at the number of shark attacks worldwide, it, it is such a rare thing for a shark attack to actually happen. It's almost random. And, uh, you know, so for us to have a fear of them is, is, is really ridiculous. And I think that's part of the show is trying to make people realize that most sharks are pretty cool animals to, uh, to see. In fact, get in the water and swim with. There's a few out there you've got to be a little bit more careful with, um, but uh, the majority of sharks are pretty harmless to us. Yeah, while, while we were talking here, I just went to the, uh, pulled up the fact that there's, there's 19 shark attacks in the U.S. every year, and it looks like I'm trying to find the stat of your odds of being struck by lightning. As I recall, it was like many, many, many times uh, more dangerous to just be out when there's a thunderstorm. Oh, look, you know, refrigerators are more dangerous than sharks. You know, more people die as a result of uh, refrigerators than uh, sharks each year. Um, and you can interpret that any way you like. <laughs> it's like playing the game of golf, one of the most dangerous sports in the world. You won't catch me playing that game. But well, I'll yeah. get in the water with sharks. Well, I mean, you know, you know you're actually right. I'm, I'm looking at the list here. It says toilets injured 43,000 Americans a year in 1996, sharks 13. Yeah, Buckets and pails 11,000, sharks 13. It's pretty funny. It is. You should be very careful when you walk into the toilet in the future. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned Fiji a minute ago, and I know that uh, down in the South um, Pacific, uh, uh, there's a lot of worry about uh, what's happening to the reefs. When I was in, in Fiji, I saw some reefs that did look pretty bleached out and, and uh, I guess guess of some concern. What's, what's, the, what's the current status of, of that uh, in your neck of the woods? Well, look, we, we, we are finding in a number of areas that, uh, that there has been a, uh, a fair amount of what they call coral bleaching going on. Yeah. Um, this is related not so much to pollution down here. We have very, very clean water down here in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, it's more related to global warming. What, what we're seeing is higher sunshine hours. Um, we're looking at uh, higher water temperatures. And, and a lot of animals like corals and that are much slower to adapt than things like fish and and, and, and other animals. So a, a shift in temperature by you know half a degree or even a quarter of a degree can quite a, you know quite significantly affect a lot of animals, um, and and that's probably more of what we're seeing. Some of the uh, the coral bleaching and issues we're having, um, it's certainly on the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, is directly related to human activity. Uh, we know that uh, there's there's new uh, that the government is is allowing for new dredging for deep deep water ports off uh, the Great Barrier Reef. Um, and that is going to severely impact um, the, the reef system itself because clean water is vital. If you've got any sort of silt in the water, coral doesn't do well. So uh, those sort of things are going to have an impact in the future. I'm glad you mentioned that because we're planning to talk to our Australian correspondent, Pamela Taylor, about that very issue. She lives up in, in Queensland. But what I read in the Week magazine last week just sounded pretty hair-raising about the possible damage to the reef. And I guess, I guess the Great Barrier Reef is, is kind of in trouble, I, I gather. Yeah, look, it is. You know, it's it, it's the the largest living organism in the world, and uh, and it is a, a world um, heritage site. It's an incredibly important reef system, um, and uh, unfortunately, you know, the current government in Australia um, is putting a lot of its uh, its uh, sort of financial policies ahead of 
the uh, the environmental policies, and that's that's you know you're seeing that with the shark toll going on in Western Australia. You're also seeing that with with a lot more mining and uh, and licensing of mining, and obviously access to those sort of uh, you know those sort of deposits. Uh, when it comes to the work that they're going to do currently to deepen ports off the Great Barrier Reef, it actually relates to coal. You'd think we would have been, uh, you know, sort of leaving coal behind by now with all <laughs> of the clean energy options there are, but we're not. That's that's the worst of both worlds. We're mining coal, and we're going to, I guess, from what I read, they were going to take these spoils and the dredging, and they're only going to go out like 25 kilometers. It just sounded like they need to take it out much further than that. Yeah, they're actually dumping it inside the uh, the, the uh, marine reserve, <laughs> um, and 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 that is you know that while they say that uh, that it's uh, you know it's 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 not going to be a major impact uh, you know as uh, as conservationists and and people like myself who are in the water all the time we've seen the impacts that these sort of things have and uh, and it's not just a short term impact often the problem we have with governments is uh, down here our governments are in power for four years so a lot of their policies relate to very short term what 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 can we do in four years that's going to achieve a better result for the country rather than the long-term results. You know, they're not looking 10 or 20 years out. Um, they're more interested in making sure they get in, they get voted in for the next elections, and that involves um, short-term policies. Well, Michael, we could, I would love to talk to you for, uh, for our hours here, and I'm sure, I hope we do that in the, in the weeks and months to come. But um, be- before we go today, I just want to take a slight detour into a, into a very odd, um, odd segue. I remember you describing a trip to Vanuatu many years ago and what a great place uh, you thought that was. And I'm, I finally managed to get there um, for that eclipse back in 2012. And, and I was very impressed by this whole archipelago. And I think that's a place that has a great future maybe for ecotourism as well. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of places around the South Pacific um, that, that are still relatively untouched. You know, places that have intact culture, you know, intact environments. Um, and uh, you know, if, if things are degrading down here. The, the the pressure that the commercial fishing is having on our uh, on our islands around here is, is starting to show, um, and that's really sad. And um, you know, we're we're hoping that uh, now that these governments are starting to you know sit up and take notice, um, as a result of looking at the value of tourism and ecotourism and valuing that up against the, uh, the, the, the value of their commercial fishing industries uh, is starting to get those governments to start thinking a little bit differently. So, uh, you know, the, the sort of surveys we were talking about before where, um, where economists are coming in and saying, let's value these areas within the uh, tourism industry uh, to give the government the right ammunition or the right information to make sure they make the right decisions in the future. And protecting island nations like that is about giving them uh, the right information and making sure that they can actually survive. And ecotourism is such a perfect one for that. Well, Michael, it's been a great pleasure. I've admired the work you've done in these great documentaries that you've done before, and I'm sure this TV series promises to be excellent as well when it, uh, when it starts hitting the airwaves here. Come back and talk a little bit more about that, will you? Excellent, Doug. would love to talk more. Michael Bonner, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.